Welcome to Authors Matters, a podcast from the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society. I'm Caroline Sanderson, and I'm a writer and books journalist. Today, I'm talking to Selena Godden. Selena is an acclaimed poet and electrifying performer of her own work. She's also an activist, broadcaster, memoirist and novelist. Her latest volume of poetry is the wonderfully entitled Pessimism is for Lightweights and her debut novel Mrs Death, Mrs Death with an equally wonderful title is out now in paperback. Selena, welcome to Authors Matters. It's wonderful to be talking to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Hello everyone. Hello. So on this podcast we have a focus on writing as a profession but I get the feeling from reading your work which is so engaged with the human condition that writing for you is not just a profession, it's a whole life vocation. And so I was wondering where you first found that vocation. I don't think I've ever done anything else. In fact, I know I haven't. I think I'd be doing this even if no one was looking, even if no one was reading it. In fact, I've been doing it for years with no one reading it. Uh, Yeah, it's just uh, something that I was doing as a little girl. And then something that I continued through my teenage years and into adulthood is, yeah, writing and but all kinds of writing, diary writing and memoir writing, poetry and stories. And I really love radio. I love making radio. And I used to make little radio plays as a kid with my tape recorder. You know, when you used to have to press play and record together. And then <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just I just had to figure out a way to make that you know, make what I love, pay the rent, make, you know, put food on the table. It doesn't always work out though, hey. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I keep trying. <laughs> I know that prior to writing your first novel, you, you've spent a lot of time working as a poet and um, as a tremendous performer of your own work. What What is it that you love particularly about performing? Perhaps you're, you're, you mentioned there your love of radio and the spoken word. Perhaps that's got something to do with it. Yeah, maybe. I think I actually like writing more than performing. However, as a young writer, being published, having an actual book published seemed really difficult. It seemed like a really, really long reach. So a lot of my early work was DIY, very much that kind of punk DIY spirit, very much self-published, making my own zines, pamphlets of poems, and then swapping them for beers or swapping them for a pound or whatever, or for fags or whatever. <laughs> and um, it was very much, the, you know, the 90s were very much like that. And also, I couldn't really see many people that looked like me. So I imagined I was going to be a pop star. I wanted to be like, um, you know, polystyrene, X-ray specs or like Nana Cherry. They looked like me. Um, but to be a poet, didn't they, I, I couldn't find anyone um, at first. I mean, I, I got into Maya Angelou and, and poets like that, but they were American, very American. And, it's, and so they're sort of British, B2B black, British, female, poet, punky, and sort of looking for heroes. Um, yeah, it was a bit thin on the ground. Um, and at gigs in the 90s, I was very often the only woman, and if not the only woman, certainly the only woman of colour on the bill. It took years to get the headline slots and the good juicy gigs that that pay and the exciting gigs where you get to go on an aeroplane and go somewhere exciting and all it took years and years and years to get anywhere, you know, with it. I think I was reaching more 
for putting my poetry with music because that seemed more accessible than getting a publishing deal. I was just getting a rejected left, right and centre with publishers, but with music I seemed to be able to get in. So I was working with Ninja Tunes and Cold Cut and working with Peter Coit and putting out our own music and setting poetry to music. And that seemed to be permitted and, and accepted more than to be, you know, on the page. Yeah. That's a that, no. That's a great insight into the you know the kind of spade work that sort of underpins your career and, and the career of a lot of writers. Because I think a lot a lot of readers think that writers just appear sort of fully formed. You know, straight away you get a deal. So that's that's such a good insight. And this is a sort of related question, really. But I I know that when you were writing your debut novel, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, it took long years to write and yeah. that you're often getting up at 4am to write it before working on other things to pay the rent. Yeah. Um, and I wondered how hard you found it to earn a writing living, really. How, how much have you had to combine it with day jobs of one kind and another? I guess, I guess it's been an evolving process once you've started to get some recognition. Well, that's a big question, really. Um, the money thing, I really believed that the more you suffered and starved, the better poet you'd be. I really believed in that starving poet cliche um, as a young poet. It's taken decades to realise that I can be happy and I can be loved and I can have food in my belly and still make good work. I know that sounds ridiculous. But um, so I took it all very much on the chin, being rejected and being skin. I was like, this is what it's meant to be like, you know. And so I very much rolled my sleeves up and took the punches as part of my, um, you know, initiation into being a half decent poet or writer, you know, because of the struggle and the suffering and the hunger and the pain and the, oh, I was all about it. Um, <laughs> and um as for my writing, I, I mean, the four in the morning thing is just I have a very hard work ethic. I, On the surface, I seem very, you know, chaos and party and performing. But there's a lot of discipline going on under there. There would have to be for the amount of work that I managed to do and have get and get done and complete. So the getting up in the four, four in the morning thing started in my 30s when I was writing Springfield Road, the childhood memoir. I worked out that between sort of four in the morning and mid, you know, 11 in the morning, no one's going to really need you, not really need you. And so I sort of carved that as my time when I can work on the things that were close to my heart, the things I really wanted to be writing, the things nobody asked me to do. You know that lovely quote, art is the thing no one asked you to do. So, yeah, so the four in the morning thing was was kind of like my gift to myself to get what I need to do and get what I wanted written, written. And then, you know, and then sort of, you know, later in the morning and the afternoons, we, we do the, what we have to do, you know, the commissioned work. Sometimes being a writer, it's like people treat you like they're ordering pizza. They're like, well, we want a poem like that. Not like that, but like that. And it's like, oh God, it's really <laughs> difficult to write to order like that. Like, like a, people are ordering pizza, like a poem to order, you know, it's quite yeah. tricky. Yeah, I think it's the reality of a lot of writers' lives that they have to combine all these different different jobs, but also different headspaces as well, depending on what you're doing. What would you say have been the main obstacles that you've encountered to making a living as a writer? Again, that's probably another big question, but, but also I'm interested in the things that have helped you on your way. Well, I think probably the biggest obstacle is going to be me. I had to get out on my own way, you know. You kind of get in your way... Let the work speak for itself and let 
let that shine you know i think we kind of uh we get so battered <laughs> as, uh, as artists as writers as poets and uh and don't sort of give ourselves much grace i always sort of think of when we look at a ballerina or a boxer they train and have this discipline and they work every day they work at it every single day and i think writing somewhere between the two and you work on it every day that sort of grace and that fight and somewhere between the, <laughs> the dance and the fight is the really good writing but if you're working on it every day then then it's gonna just by default you're gonna get better and stronger and the muscle is gonna get better and stronger but yeah, I mean, so much of my luck has been luck um, and because people have been kind and given me a chance. And uh, yeah, I've got so many people to thank and people that have been just really just go on, Selena. And, and, and it's because of that that you keep going and, and people that have sort of given me jobs and given me given me a go. I think writing and poetry and this whole thing is very competitive. And I find that quite exhausting and scary as it's almost like I don't I don't buy into the thing that there's only so much cake and you have, you know, and everyone's allowed their bit of cake. I think the cake is endless. In fact, we should make more cake and share it. And, and, and the more voices and the more colour and the more diverse, beautiful, different perspectives we have and read and share, then the richer we'll be. And, uh, and I really believe that. I love that analogy of making cake and passing yeah. it around because I know you've been an amazing mentor to other writers and I wondered, uh, well, how important is it for you to pay it down? And, you know, what are the things that, that, re that really help? I guess it is the encouragement and the, and the mentoring and the, you know, what, what do you like to see happening in the writing community? Oh, I could get really emotional about this. I get so emotional about this. I've got so much hope in the next generation. There's so many, like, the books I'm being sent, the phone calls I'm having, you know, the, the conversations I'm having privately with young people. There's some incredible talent, beautiful, brilliant, creative um, conversations that are happening that have never happened before um, and different experiences and perspectives and I just honestly um, I mean I'm in this funny place where you know I'm, I'm kind of one of the old ones now and I always remember being the cheeky naughty youngest one it's very strange to me it's like how did I get here <laughs> yeah so I kind of have a seesaw feeling where like I'm really glad I'm like the big sister one now I mean, when I was 19 and 20 and that age and doing my first gigs, none of it is on rec recorded. So I, can, <laughs> so I can just rely on legend. Yeah, it was, I was amazing. <laughs> and there's no evidence. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I have so much faith and so much excitement and so much passion for the next generation of authors and poets. And, yeah, I mean, I can't mention any names. Um, because uh, because I like to keep it private, who I talk to and who I'm guiding and mentoring. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some incredible um, work coming through and in such difficult times that we're having, whether it's the, the pandemic and so on and so forth and the, the record of these times, the obse observations of these times, narration of these times, so important. And uh, yeah, I think we're in good hands.
That's wonderful to hear, given what so many people have been going through. So, Selena, your work's so steeped in activism. Um, Your most recent poetry collection I mentioned is Pessimism for Lightweights, 13 Pieces of Courage and Resistance. And your novel, Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death, amplifies the voices of marginalised people and of victims and of the bereaved. Can you imagine being anything other than a political writer? I mean, political in the the broadest sense, I guess. No, I... I think looking how I look and being where I where I am and coming from where I come from and uh, just being the, the type of person I am. I'm an empath and, and I like things to be fair and I like things to be just and I like everyone to be happy. <laughs> I'm a big hippie, really, in the, in the old-fashioned sense. Uh, you know, I just really, yeah, I mean, what is wrong with peace and love? Just let there be more <laughs> peace and love. What was wrong with that idea? Peace and love was a good idea. Um, so, yeah, that, that, I think I'm always going to write from that perspective. And also my, my heritage and where I come from and this amazing lineage. I've got a lot of old blood in me and old stories and old histories. So, yeah, I think I'll always, always be on the side of the underdog and all for peace and love. I think that's that's a good place to be. Well, your writing is just is just so fantastically engaged. I love I love actually. There's um there's a family tree in the back of Mrs. Death, Mrs. Death that yeah. that people can look at and and it's just it's completely fascinating. I get the very distinct feeling that you believe writers are essential to a healthy and functioning society, and perhaps more so now than ever. You are optimistic about the facts. Well, you've already said you're very optimistic about the young writers coming through, but also book sales are holding up so well amidst, you know, there's myriad other media there. There's lots of things people can do with their time. But this is a time for writers and writing, I think. I think so. I think it's an incredibly powerful time for poetry. Um, and I think it's an incredible time for books. And I think we're in a really exciting period in time with um, with writing and with the, the people that are being published and representation. There's still a lot of, I mean, there's still a lot of, um, you know, that we could always do more. We can always do more. We could always have more voices, more women, more women in positions of power and, in, and always but um, but we're working on that, aren't we? I mean, everyone's aware of it and talking about it. Um, am I optimistic? Yeah, hello, hell yeah. Being optimistic is is a is a revolutionary act. Being you know, pessimism is for lightweight. We must stay hopeful and and idealistic. I know to be idealistic means that things aren't ideal. I want things to be ideal and until they are, (laughs) I will keep picturing a better world and a better ending and a better outcome and a a better way through this. Yeah, I I think the narration of the times and the observances of these times, I think I I often um, imagine 100 years from now, you know, in the way that we look at literature of the 1920s and it seems like 100 years ago and all how things have changed. And I often wonder how people will look back on this era of these writers and these poets, you know, and living through this pandemic and through this crazy political time and this time of great change. Yeah, I, I really, I really think about that often. Actually, a hundred years from now, how people will look back on us and and will they be proud of us and and will we survive? It's it's a lot when you think like that. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's such an alluring thought, actually. I think I'm going to take that away with me. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for joining us on Authors. Thank you so much. We aim to reflect the views of a wide variety of authors on our podcast, but their views are, of course, their own. Check out more episodes of Authors Matters wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and please join us next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.